I want to read a very short verse from the book of Jude. Jude was one of Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude. And it's the very last little letter right before you get to Revelations in the New Testament. In verse 22 of Jude, it only has one chapter, that's why it says Jude 22. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. I think that's probably all of us in this room to some degree. Have mercy on those who doubt. Some of the translations say, be merciful to those who doubt. We've been in a series called Knowing God. And this whole, the month of January and February, just to get this year started right and, and get our, our, our minds and hearts focused on who God is, that God's bigger than our problems, God's bigger than our struggles, he's bigger than the issues that we go through. And it's important that we, that we understand who he is, so we've looked at the fact that God is, is uh, all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's, he's present everywhere, he doesn't change so thankful for that. And last week we, we tackled the, the difficulty that God was sovereign. That he's sovereign over, um, over all things. And that he's actually in control when things seem to be out of control. But part of knowing God and kind of this direction we're going to go this morning. Part of, of knowing God is to deal with doubt. It's to deal with doubt. Dealing with doubt is an inevitable part of the Christian experience. Grant had a lot of songs this morning that were about grace. And the Christian life is all about grace. Grace is the unmerited, unearnable favor of God, the, the forgiveness of God. It's, it's the power of God in our lives to do what we could never do on our own. And I liked how those songs matched up with, this, with the subject this morning because we need grace even in our doubts. We need grace in our doubts. Uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace back in the 1700s, before he became a Christ follower, he was a slave trader, and he was pretty cruel and ruthless, and God got a hold of him and changed him to become the person who understood the grace of God, and he went through a lot of seasons of doubt and depression in his life. But again, it's inevitable to the Christian experience, doubt, because we're never going to fully understand God this side of heaven. And it's going to take all of eternity to understand God. God is, he's, he's big, huge, amazing. And our little pea brains don't have a whole lot of capacity to understand how big he really is. Doubt usually comes in, in two ways. Doubt usually comes in whys. Like why, why this, why that, you know, why am I going through this? And it comes in what ifs. So if you have a why question or a what if question, to some degree, doubt is trying to settle into your mind and into your heart. There are people in this room that are going, God, why haven't you answered my prayers? God, we thought we heard from you, and why are you delaying the answer to this? God, why did this person betray me? God, why did this not work out the way I thought it was going to work out? God, where are you? Why do you seem so distant? Let's be real. That's many people's experience right now. Some of you are going through the what ifs. And the what if questions are, what if there's not enough money at the end of the month to pay our bills? What if this doesn't work out? What if, things, what if my health doesn't get better? So whys and what ifs 
or the way doubt tries to, to creep into us, into our hearts. So if you're going through a season of, of doubt in your life right now, I want to tell you there's hope. There's hope. And I want to help this morning through the grace of God and the power of God to help. I've had my seasons of doubt in my life. And so I'm going to be pretty real and transparent with you this morning in a way that I hope you can, you can relate. And I've prayed about this all week and I've felt some, some resistance from the other side, if you know what I'm saying, that God, the, the other side doesn't want us to understand uh, the, the message of doubt and how do we overcome it. Because you know what? Doubt is a virus. It's a spiritual virus. It's an infection. And it needs to be dealt with the same way we would, you know, if we physically get sick, we have to do something about it. So say you have doubts going on in your mind. You're gelling with me already. Yes, I have why questions. I have what if questions. Let's diagnose the condition a little bit. Let's diagnose doubt. What is doubt? Because many people think that they can't be Christians if they have doubts. I've talked to people before and they, 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 they say, you know what? I, I, I want to believe. I want to be a Christian. I, I want to follow Jesus. But man, I have all these doubts. I have all these uncertainties. I don't know what to do with it. I'll tell you this this morning to start. Follow him anyway. Bring your doubts to him, bring your fears, bring your confusion, bring your questions, because you're never going to get it all figured out anyway. So come to him. But how do, how do we diagnose this? First of all, I would tell you this, and you can write this down, doubt is not the same as unbelief. It's not. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Unbelief is a willful refusal to believe. You've made a choice. You've made a decision and say, I will not believe. I choose not to believe. So it's an act of your will to walk in unbelief. Doubt is something that you often can't really control. And it's an uncertainty it's, that comes upon you. It's, uh, it's indecisive. It's, doubt can come in seasons and it comes in moments. So there's sometimes there's seasons of doubt. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a momentary. But here's what I want you to be encouraged with. And I'm going to prove this to you scripturally. You can have faith and also have some doubts at the same time. As a matter of fact, you're going to. And accepting that is part of, of the struggle. And the struggle between faith and doubt is really what makes us human. Um, the great thing about the Bible is the Bible is filled with stories of people that God used in mighty way, ways who doubted, who had struggles. They struggled with doubt. Every Bible character you read had, had doubts and had, had struggles. One biblical example is David. You can write that down. David. In, in, the, in the importance of, of knowing this about David and the difference between doubt and unbelief is David was called by God a man after his own heart. He, God said that about David, that he was a man after his own heart. And in him saying that, that didn't make David perfect though. And it didn't make David have this faith that was always perfect. David, he struggled with doubt. You read through the Psalms and over and over and over, David would find himself in, in struggles and in spiritual battles and actual battles. And he would say, God, why? Why is this happening? God, where are you? I love the realness of David. But David would always, it wasn't unbelief, it was uncertainty. 
It was the realness of, of, of that human doubt where, but at the end of his prayers, at the end of his songs, after he said why and he talked to God about it, he knew God wasn't going to fall off his throne because of his questions. He knew who to go to. He went to the source. And he said, but he would always finish, God, but you, you're faithful. But God, you are my rock. God, you are my hope. And so today, if you're in a season of doubt and you're asking why, know this, that God will see you through it. He will see you through this, this season that you're in. Another thing about doubt is doubt is not unforgivable. God does not con- condemn us when we question. He doesn't condemn us when we question. If that were the case, we'd all be in trouble and all be condemned. But we know that's not, not true. The devil comes to condemn He loves to condemn you in your questions. He loves to condemn you in your struggles and say, oh, I thought you were really a Christian. I thought, oh, I thought you followed Jesus and and you have doubts, you have questions. Oh, okay, big Christian man or woman or whatever. You know, he's an intimidator and he's a liar and he loves to come and condemn. We need to learn to discern the voice of God compared to his voice. His voice always comes with accusation. And it's always lying and it's always trying to intimidate. The voice of God is love and encouraging us. A great biblical example is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Do you know he was the first Baptist? (laughs) He started the Baptist church. Just kidding. John the Baptist, he got his name because he was the one who, he was was the, the voice crying in the wilderness He was the one that prepared the way for Jesus to come. He was the last of the real prophets to come and and, and, and speak, you know, prepare the way for Jesus to come. He was actually the cousin of Jesus. And John was, was preaching a baptism of repentance that prepared people's hearts for Jesus. And John in in you know saw Jesus. One day, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He had a revelation about who, who Jesus was. Behold the Lamb of God. He baptized Jesus, and when he baptized him, he saw the Holy Spirit come down in the form of a dove. He heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He, he saw and heard that. And yet, it says in Scripture that there was a time when John the Baptist was put in jail. John the Baptist was put in jail by King Herod because John the Baptist called out King Herod's sin of, of, you know, sleeping with somebody who wasn't his wife. And so he called it out. Herod put him in jail. He didn't, wasn't going to mess around. So he's, he's in jail, and John sends a couple of his disciples, his followers, to Jesus. He said, go find out if he's really the one. Go ask him a few questions. So they came to Jesus, his disciples. They said, John wants, wants to know if you're really the one we're waiting for. John was starting to question. After all he had seen, he was going, Is this, are you really the one we're waiting for? Because this isn't happening in my timetable and the way I think it should happen. Jesus doesn't condemn John. Jesus tells his disciples, go back and tell John that all of Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled right before your eyes. That the blind see, the deaf hear, you know, people are, are coming to salvation. And, and, and then he goes on to, to lift John up as one, one of the greatest men that have ever lived, Jesus said about him. But John doubted, and Jesus understood that. John had some uncertainty. Another thing about doubt is this. Doubt is not always unhealthy. Doubt can actually produce positive effects when you work toward resolving them. 
Doubts can produce positive effects when we work toward resolving them. It's kind of like if you get a flu shot. I know it's a touchy subject in this day and age whether you should get a flu shot or not, but work with me here. Or you're going to go overseas and you know, you're going to go on a mission trip and you've got to get immunized for the diseases that are not in America that you possibly could get over there. You get immunized about it. You, you get, what, what happens is, is they give you just a little bit of the virus. They give you just a little bit of that so that your body builds an immunity to that virus. It builds an immunity to it. Well, doubt in many ways is the, is the same thing. It's a little bit of it produces immunity to the greater doubts that are going to come later in life. So if you're going through a doubt right now, you're being immunized by, by your situation to prepare yourself for something bigger down the line. I didn't put this on your notes, and, but doubt leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to to convictions and faith and convictions and faith lead to a changed life so it starts there you have these doubts you begin to ask questions you get answers you see God's moving in your life that leads to faith and convictions and bam you have a changed life you have a changed life I see many of those in this room this morning of people who have been through that it actually deepens our faith when you go through a season of doubt, your, your spiritual roots are digging down deeper to find nutrients and moisture. The same way a tree, a fruit-producing tree, has to go through a winter season so that its roots get stronger for next year to be able to produce fruit. So if you're in a season of doubt, you're actually going to be producing more fruit if you cooperate with God and what he's doing in your life. Thomas is a biblical example of this. Thomas was uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He walked with Jesus for three years, saw him do miracles, saw him, you know, preaching and, and all of that. And after Jesus was died and was bur- buried, Thomas saw that. But Jesus rose from the dead and Thomas wasn't one of the disciples that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead right away. And they, they came, the other disciples came, we've seen him, Jesus is alive. You guys know the story about doubting Thomas? He says, you've got to be kidding me. Unless I can touch him and handle him and actually put my finger in the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe this. Well, Jesus in his grace and his mercy appears to Thomas, right? And Thomas sees him and he handles him. And he falls on his face and he says, my Lord, my God. He knew who he was. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas, that you believe. You believe because you've seen me. Then he said something about you and me. He said, blessed are those that will believe that haven't seen me. That's talking about you and me. That's pretty cool. I've had my experiences like like this in my life. Back when I was early in my Christian life, I felt a calling to ministry right away. Didn't, you know, I was learning scripture and I went to Bible school. Went to Rocky Mountain Bible College with Pastor Russ, Dean Fraze as we still affectionately call him. And we're at, at RMBI, and I'm, I'm growing. And, and uh, one day, my dad and I worked together in the insurance business, and we officed out of his basement. And, and one day, we, we got a knock on the door, you know, one of those knocks from somebody that's trying to convince you of what they believe and try to destroy your faith. It was a, it was a Jehovah Witness. 
And I'm not here to, to bash any persons or anything like that, but Jehovah Witnesses do not believe what Orthodox Christians have believed for 2,000 years about the nature of Jesus, that he is God, that he's not Michael the Archangel from the Old Testament or anything like that, that Jesus is God, and, and, and they don't believe the same things about eternity and all of that. And so this person came to our door to try to question me and convince me of something altogether different. Well, it was a lady and a little girl. And I thought, I got this, right? You ever do that? Maybe you see people coming to your door and you open the shades. Oh, no, not them, man. Maybe they'll go away. Shh, be quiet. And I, I'm one of those, I kind of like the sparring, if you will. I know it sharpens me. And back then, I definitely didn't have much humility in the process. I, you know, if you're trying to win an argument with somebody and show them who's boss, then you're not exactly loving them like Jesus would love them. I've grown since then. I grew up a little bit. And, uh, but, but then it was, you know, let me, let me show you what I know. And I knew enough to be dangerous, like many of you. <laughs> and so we talked about these key questions about who was Jesus and, and had this back and forth dialogue. And by the end of the conversation, I said, feel free to come back if you ever want. You know, I'll be here. You know where to find me and we can keep this discussion. She said, okay, and she left. Well, about three or four days later, this van pulls up in front of the house and out comes about 10 men elders from the church and I'm peeking out the blinds oh uh oh I picked a fight (laughs) going to pick a fight but anyway um when they me and this this guy he he knew what he believed more than I knew what I believed at the time probably talked for about two hours about these key central truths about who Jesus is. If you're ever talking to anybody that doesn't believe in Orthodox Christianity, what the church has taught and believed for 2,000 years, listen, it's always going to come back to the, to the word of God and the nature of Jesus and who he is. And forget all the other outlying stuff. You can, you can start chasing rabbits and, and get lost. But we talked and... and Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he questioned everything that I thought I understood. And so he left. And we said goodbye. And, and that was it. And all of a sudden this cloud of funk just came on me. Of doubt. And it was like, I don't even know what I believe. I don't even know. God, is he right? Am I right? Who's right? You've probably been there. Like, God, is this, is this even real? And I felt like I just got undressed, you know, by the guy. In the, and I, so I went through about a three or four month period while in Bible school studying to be a pastor of a funk of, I didn't know for sure what I believed, but you know what happened to me? It caused me to go into this book, not just to people, but to go to this book and find out what does the Bible teach about who Jesus really is? What does scripture say about God and what has the church believed and taught and why? And, and I went through this book for months and just ate it and everything I could to, to learn more. And you know what happened? I went through that season of winter and my roots were just going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. No one can convince me today that Jesus isn't God and that he isn't real. And that this is, you know, question whether this is really God's word or not. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bragging way, but I've put the time in. I've, put the, I've experienced life. 
Instead of life interpreting scripture for me, and uh-oh, life didn't go the way I thought it was supposed to go, therefore, is this really true or not? Instead, this now interprets life. This tells me what's real and what Jesus is about. That's what God wants us to know about him. So how does doubt infect us? How does it infect us? It comes through three main avenues into our life. It comes through our minds, our emotions, and our wills. Doubt comes into our minds and it infects us through questions. Somebody will tell you this. You can't trust the Bible. You've heard this before. You can't trust the Bible. Do you know how to respond to somebody when they say you can't trust the Bible? That's why we have classes. That's why we have books. That's why we have a book table. That's why we have all the things that we do so that you can feel prepared to give a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within you. So those questions come in and, and uh, listen, you don't have to understand everything to put your trust into it. It's impossible to understand everything. I mean, how many of you used a cell phone today? Some of you are on it right now, but anyway, uh, just kidding. You used a cell phone today. Do you understand how that's getting a signal for you and you can call? You just get mad when it doesn't work. You get frustrated when it doesn't work. It has never, not understanding how a cell phone works hasn't stopped you from using it or flying a plane or driving a car or, or do you understand everything about these things? No, but you trust it anyway. Well, some of that comes in our lives that if you get a question that you don't have an answer to, relax. You, you, in time, God, God will sort, sort it out for you. Then it comes through our emotions. Um, it infects us through our emotions there's a lot of people who, man, they, they build their faith on their, fee, their feelings. And, and we're not supposed to build our faith on our feelings. We build it on truth. And again, faith is not a feeling. Faith is ultimately a decision. It's ultimately an act of your will to say, I'm going to follow and I'm going to trust even when I don't understand. Then it comes in. I remember briefly after I got water baptized. And anybody that's a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a little bit, there's always this little honeymoon phase that you go on with, with the Lord and everything's great. And, and it's great to have that, that relationship that where you feel God and you feel close to God. And I'm all for that. And God's for it. But the fact is, most of the Christian life is not about feelings. It's the decision of faith. And I remember going into a little funk after my baptism. God, where are you again? I don't feel you. You feel a million miles away. And I know God let that happen. So that, again, my roots would go deeper. That I wouldn't trust in feelings. That I would, I would walk by faith. And then it, uh, it comes in through our wills. It infects us through our wills. It infects us through our bad decisions. We're tempted by sin and we give in to it. Sin always creates a lack of peace in our lives. And it it creates doubts about us. It creates doubts about our relationship with God. Where is he? When we feel guilty, we kind of turn our back. He hasn't gone anywhere. But sin creates that gap and it creates a distance. It creates those questions. So there's a remedy to this. All right? And the remedy to doubt, write this down, is faith. It's faith. I'm going to give you an acronym, faith, to, to walk through your doubts. And I don't want to just give you the trite little answer, hey, just have faith. I don't mean it like that. Hey, just have more faith. Thanks a lot. Sometimes that's not a very helpful answer. It's a no-brainer that we need more faith. 
But let me tell you this. You know what you need for your doubts? Say it with me. Faith. You do. We, I don't want it to come across trite, but, it, but we really do need to learn to trust. First of all, find the root of your doubt. Find the root of your doubt. David did this when he wrote this in the Psalms. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David was, was looking. He was kind of having a little self-talk. He was depressed. He was doubting. He was in distress. And he was like, why are you so downcast, dude? Put your hope in God. You ever preach to yourself? You need to get good at preaching to yourself. Right? The, the, the loudest voice sometimes in your life is your own. What are you saying to yourself? What are you hearing yourself say? Affirm what God has already said is true. So David did that. So in a sense, you, you can't overcome your doubts until you identify the cause. Where is this coming from? I want to show you a picture. Look at that. There's the iceberg. How many saw Titanic ten times yesterday on TV on Valentine's? Oh, don't lie, you watched. But anyway, it was on a, a, like AMC, and it was on all day long. I think I watched it twice, but um, I got a little sidetracked there. But look at that iceberg. Underneath, look at all that ice. It's like 10 times the size of the actual part that's visible. Sometimes in your life, you've got to find out what's underneath the surface. What's underneath my doubt? Yeah, I have doubt. I have worries. I have this. Okay, ask yourself, what's going on underneath there? When I was in college age, I had doubts. I had, I, 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 you know, I would have told you up until college that I was a, a Christian, but I teeter-tottered back and forth, and God was working in and through my family and different people coming to Christ, and ultimately, everybody's following Jesus today, but back then... I remember I took a class at Red Rocks Community College called Cultural Anthropology. And cultural anthropology is not exactly friendly to the Bible or to Christians. And my teacher actually did not like Christians or the Bible. And he would tell us on a weekly basis why you couldn't trust the Bible, why Christians were this and that, and it was a fairy tale. And he had it all figured out. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe he's right, you know. Maybe he's right. And I remember kind of that was almost was a decision point to walk away from this whole Jesus thing and do my own thing for a few years. God let me go eat out of the bottom of the garbage can to realize I was starving for him ultimately. But in that season, I'll be honest with you, if you were to go under the root, it wasn't just an intellectual struggle. I wanted to justify my lifestyle. I wanted to justify living for me and, and, and living it up. And, and so if we're just all random chance and, and this life doesn't really matter, then I'm going to get mine while I'm here. And then I realized that that wasn't true, obviously. For you, what's the root of your doubt? What's the root of your doubt? Is it control? Are you trying to control circumstances? Are you trying to control situations by your worry, by your doubt? That's really what worry is. It's a form of control. Is it an experience that you've had that you just can't wrap your arms around? Is it a question? What's the root of your doubt? Second thing is this. Ask God and others for help. Ask God and others for help when you doubt. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark about a man who had a son who was possessed by a demon. 
And the demon would throw the, the boy on the ground and, and he would foam at the mouth and act crazy. How many know that'd be a little, a little weird to see that happen? And they, they, were, they had brought this boy to Jesus and, and they, they saw, Jesus saw what was going on. And so they, they brought, brought him to Jesus and the boy immediately fell into a con, convulsion when he saw, saw Jesus. He fell to the ground, he was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus said, how long has he been like this? And from childhood the father said. And he said, you know, uh, it, it's often tried to throw him into the fire or water to kill him. And then the man said this, he said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus makes a pretty profound statement. He says, if you can, <laughs> do you not know, you obviously don't know who you're talking to. You haven't seen what I've already been doing. Jesus says, if you can, he said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately, uh, it says, the the boy's father exclaimed, he said, I do have faith, but help me to have more. Help me to overcome my unbelief. Help me to overcome this doubt. Help me to overcome this certainty. You know, we need to do that too. Ask God for strength. Ask God for faith. Ask him for wisdom. Pray and be patient and trust him, the source of, of all goodness to, and all power to, to answer your prayer when he, he sees fit in your life. But then you also go to others for help. Look what it says in James 5.16. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I like that. Confess your faults. Confess your doubts. Confess your struggles. There's something about opening yourself up and saying, you know what, here's my sin, here's my doubt, here's my struggles, being vulnerable, being transparent. There's strength and comfort in knowing you're not alone. When you open up to somebody and they say, I can relate, how good does that feel? The devil loves to make us feel like we're out on an island all by ourselves and we're the only whack job on the world, in the world with our problems. That's not true. We're all wacky, right? The truth is, is we all are, are struggling. That's why this morning I'm not afraid to share my own struggles and doubts. I want you to know you're not alone. I've been there too. I didn't wake up and become a Christian. I didn't wake up and become a, you come out of the womb, boom, let's be a pastor, let's do this and that. Sometimes we get this wrong idea about what it means to be a Christian. It's a lifelong journey and it's a process of working out our faith on a daily basis. Then do this. The I in faith is this. Implement a course of treatment. We need to implement a course of treatment. So you've been diagnosed. You got the virus of doubt. What's the treatment? You go to the doctor. You got symptoms. What's the treatment? What's the medicine? What are we going to do about this? Because doubt affects us through our minds, our emotions, and our will. You need to ask your find out this morning. Which of those avenues through your mind... Your emotions or your will has doubt come in. Which way has it come in? First of all, ask yourself this. Am I infected with questions? Am I infected with questions? The treatment for, for questions, you know, that lead to doubt and lead to uncertainty boils down to what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 
I think the key that I want you to get from that this morning is obviously trust in the Lord, but don't lean on your own understanding. We, we lean on our own ability to reason and to understand something. And yes, God gave us a mind and we're to love him with our minds, but there's some things we can't wrap our heads around. There may not be an easy answer to whatever your question is. Um, there, there may not be an easy answer. But knowing God is relying on his attributes that he's all-powerful, he's loving, he's good, he's sovereign, he's in control. Doesn't make it easy. One thing I've learned, and I want you to apply this to your life, is when life doesn't make sense, look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. When scripture doesn't make sense, there's some things in scripture that you go, especially sometimes in the Old Testament, you're like, what in the world is this? Look to Jesus. It was all pointing to him anyway. He's, he's what the book is all about. It's all pointing towards him. So look to him. So I want to ask you this. Is there a question you would like answered in your life? Is there a question? If you have a question, I want you to take your connection card and write question on top. And if you want to put your name on there, I'd be glad to communicate with you and, and do, a, uh, I'll do my very best to respond to a question. I may not have the answer, but, but let's dialogue about it. I'll find somebody that does. We have a team of people that can answer these questions. So if you have a question that you're wrestling with that you would like answered, write it down, put it in the black box on your way out today. Um, then ask yourself this question in implementing a course of treatment. Am I infected through my feelings? Feelings lead to doubt often. And the treatment to the doubt that's in my emotions and in my feelings is this. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We don't walk by our feelings or our circumstances. We walk by faith. It's a decision to follow Jesus. Are you relying on feelings today? Man, feelings is a, it's a roller coaster ride. Maybe you're infected in your feelings with doubt because of an experience you've had. You've, you've, you've wondered, you know, how could this happen to me? You're doubting whether God loves you or not. You're not doubting whether he's real, but maybe you're doubting whether he loves you. Is there an experience, life experience, that you're having trouble dealing with? If you say yes, there is, again, we have a team of people this is what the church is about that can help you process some of those things. Process that experience. Process that hurt. We have people that would be more than willing to talk with you. And it's, there's no dumb question. There's no, no you know, you're, you're, you'd be safe. it's a safe place to be able to do that. If that's true and you want to talk to somebody, please, again, fill out a card and say, I need help. And then lastly, ask yourself this. Am I infected because of my choices? Am I infected because of my choices? Have you made just some poor decisions? Have you given in to temptation somewhere in your life? And you're just going, ah, God's mad at me or whatever it is. And I can't seem to overcome these temptations. You know what it says in the Psalms? It's a great prayer. It's a great treatment to this. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. My core group and I, core group is a, a group of men that get together, three or four, or ladies, and, and there's an accountability that happens. In our core group, we were talking about this very thing. It's those, it's those willful sins that trip us up sometimes. Is there an area of your life that's not surrendered to Jesus, that you know you need grace and you need to say, here, Lord, I give this to you, 
You can write that down. And just tell God, hey, I'm sorry. God, I want to turn from this and I want, to, I want to turn to you. Then the T in faith is this. Take care of your spiritual health. If you're going to have the remedy of faith, take care of your spiritual health. People who are physically healthy, they fight viruses better because they have a better immune system. They're healthy. And they've put in the time ahead of time to be able to fight those, those things. They've taken their vitamins. They've, they've exercised. They, they sleep good. They sleep a lot. So spiritually, we need to do two things. We need to, first of all, exercise. You can write that down. The Living Bible puts it this way of 1 Timothy. It says, spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all you do. So exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only now in this life, but in the next life too. Some of you exercise like crazy folks and good for you. The rest of us, you and the rest of us, are we spiritually exercising? Do you put in that kind of time and that time of type of care into taking care of yourself spiritually? Through prayer, through scripture, through fellowship with other, other believers? We need that. The disciplines. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be disciplined. That's actually next week's teaching in your commitment class for you 40 folks that have done that. You're going to learn about how to do that more. And then exercise, and then I would say this, eat right. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We're to feed on God's word. Do you know, International Bible Society said that 87% of Christians who say they're, they're Christians don't ever read their Bible. That's, you're not going to be strong. You're going to be weak. You're going to cave into doubt all the time if we don't know what he has already promised and said about who he is. That's why we take time to read it for ourselves, not just hear a message on Sunday or even in your home group, but you need to learn to feed yourself. You need to hang with people of strong faith. They'll encourage you. They'll, they'll challenge you. It's like having a workout partner. You got a workout partner, you, you know, they challenge you. They keep you, keep you going. Keep your immune system strong. And then lastly, hold on tight to the answerable questions and hold on loosely to the answerable, unanswerable ones. Answerable and unanswerable questions. This has been a key to me personally overcoming doubt. I have one of those minds that are always going, I've tried to compute the data. How does this work? How does this fit together? And, and some, I've had to learn to say I don't know sometimes. Um, a good friend of mine, his name is Tim Lovell. He's a pastor in Australia. We, we worked together for a long time. He was a mentor of mine. And I remember his mom caught a, uh, some sort of disease that was taking her life. And she was on her deathbed for an abnormally long period of time. And she, she, was, uh, she was struggling. And he was struggling watch, watching her suffer. And after she passed away, I remember he told me this story that he talked to his dad, who happened to be a pastor as well. And he said, Dad, why do you think God let her suffer like that? He said his dad goes, I don't know. And he was free in that moment. I don't know. Sometimes in your life, it's okay to say, I don't know. 
You don't, I, the longer I walk with Jesus, the closer I get to him, he's still, there's still mysterious things about God and life that I go, I don't know. And I'm going to follow him anyway. Will you follow him anyway with your I don't knows? <laughs> Unanswerable questions, Paul said, that are, you know, it's like, look, we, we are living in a, you know, looking through a glass dimly. He actually says, in the same way, we can see and understand only a little about God now as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday we're going to see him in his completeness, face to face. Now all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart now. Unanswerable questions? I don't know. Leave them to God's sovereignty. We've had some things happen around here this year that we've had to scratch our head and say, I don't know, God, but you're, you're sovereign. Here's the answerable ones. This is the key. Don't tune out. I know the message is coming to a conclusion. I hear paper rattling and all that. Stay with me just for a second. Answerable questions are the ones that you need to hold on tight to. First of all, Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? He asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? They said, well, John the Baptist, come back, Jeremiah, whatever, etc., etc." Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. So the question to you in your doubt today, whatever you're doubting about, whatever you're doubting God, whatever you're struggling through, answer this question. Who do you say he is? If you say he's the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, you're going to be okay. He'll work it out. He's going to work in that. that. That's the question he wants answered, not the ones that we can't answer. That's an answerable question. Then Jesus asked this question. Will you follow me? He asked that over and over and over throughout the Gospels. Will you follow me? Follow me. Follow me. Some did and some didn't. His question to you today is, will you follow him? Who do you say he is and will you follow him? And to follow Jesus means that you let him call the shots in your life. You learn to conform your life to what he wants your life to be. That you find your purpose in him. That you confess that, that in yourself you fall short and that you're a sinner and that he's the savior. He becomes savior and Lord and he gets to call the shot, shots in your life. Then he asks us all this question too that's answerable. Will you trust me? In John 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Some of you You've answered the question, yes, he's the Christ. Yes, I'm following him, but man, I'm having a hard time trusting him today. Listen, he's trustworthy, and he's shown himself to be trustworthy past, and he will in the present and all the way in the future, but we're we're not banking our our lives on an easy life. We're not banking our our hope on everything working out the way that, that, you know, we want it to, but we're banking on what he's promised in eternal life. I'm going to finish with this. There was a, there's a story, real quick, about a guy who moved to California when he was 30 years old. And he was a good guy, had strong faith. He wanted more than anything to, to serve God and to do something positive with his life. He had a friend named Chuck. 
Chuck had gone to a, a liberal school, a liberal seminary, and they began to, he began to question whether the Bible was true, was Jesus a fairy tale or not, on and on and on. He had all these questions that he kept raising about God and especially about the Bible and why you can't trust the Bible. So he started getting a little shaky in his faith because he looked up to this guy. And he said he also had a, a woman in his life who was a strong Bible scholar herself. And as, as, as the man would question the Bible, she would also say, that's not true. Let me give you evidence why you can trust the Bible. Let me give you the facts. Here's why you can trust. And he felt like he was just being torn. I can trust the Bible. I can't trust the Bible. Doubt. Faith, doubt and faith, back and forth, back and forth. He got to the place where he went out on a walk one day. And he said, uh, God, I need your help. I don't want to have a weak faith. I want to have a strong, powerful faith that you can use me. You can use my life. He tells the story. They got down on his knees and he said, God, based upon what I see and the evidence that I see of the trustworthiness of, your bi- of the Bible, I'm going to, I'm going to make a choice of my will to accept it as being your word. And I'm going to base my life on it. I'm going to tell others about it. He said he got up off his knees and felt like God had breathed this, this fresh life into his faith. Like this spiritual battle for his soul had been won. You know who that man was? Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who God has used over and over and over to bring many, many people to Christ. He struggled with doubt. And he had to say, Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I I believe you. I believe in your word. We can do that today as well. Part of knowing God is the season of doubt. It grows your faith. So embrace this season. Prepare for it if you're not in it right now. And today if you're struggling and you need help and and you need the courage to move forward, I want to pray. I want to pray for us. Don't forget, you can fill out your questions and the needs that you have. We'd love to, to serve you. That's why we exist as a church. So would you stand with me and let's pray. God, you know right where each one of us are at in the season of life that we're in. And God, we have many unanswerable questions that we wrestle with. But today, God, we we humble ourselves and just say, God, I can't answer those questions, but I can answer the ones, Jesus, that you asked. That who do you say I am? Will Will I follow you and will I trust you? Today, if you've never said yes to those questions, that he's the Christ, he's your savior, today, put your trust in him. Say, Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe you came to atone for my sin. I receive you as Savior and I give my life to you to be my Lord. And yes, I will follow you. And God, I will trust you. I will trust you with my life, with my struggles, doubts and all. Lord, we thank you that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. There's the hope, the work of the Spirit in each one of us. So today we receive that. We receive your grace to know you deeper, God. That don't let our our doubts and our uncertainties keep us from following you wholeheartedly, God. That's That's our simple thing we bring 
this morning to you. You've done everything. We say yes to it and amen. In Jesus' name.